0: Good morning, River City. Good morning. It is so good to see everybody here. My name is Antrimika Knight, and I have the pleasure of welcoming you here to River City. Um, we do read from the lectionary each Sunday. Um, it's a way for us to connect to the global church. Um, the lectionary is a combination of readings. There are readings each day. You can incorporate them into your private time as you're creating space and practicing spiritual formation. If you have questions or you want to figure out how to do that, you can contact myself or anyone on the staff. Um, And you can find the readings at lectionarypage.net, but we also put the Sunday readings in the weekly um, so you can just be praying through those. So this week it starts off with Psalm 91 verses 1 through 6 and it says, he who dwells in the shelter of the most high will abide in the shadow of the almighty i will say to the lord my refuge and my fortress my god and whom i trust for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge his faithfulness is a shield and buckler you will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation if you can bow your heads in prayer. Father God, thank you for River City. Thank you for the opportunity to gather. Thank you for the visitors. Thank you for the people who are serving, Father God. Thank you for the pastors, the worship leaders, the worship team. Thank you for our community, God, here in Smyrna. Let our hearts not divide, Father God, about things that are going on. Instead, let this Sunday be a reminder that we are all knitted together. We are your bride, Father God. Let us embrace you as the bridegroom. In your son Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: I ask you to remain standing, or if you're not sitting, maybe stand with us. We're going to begin to pray uh, for... Uh, those in this room and those in our community and so as an act of participation if you would pray with me whether you pray out loud or agree with me as we pray so we just say before we start praise the one who paid our debt and raised this life up from the dead and god we look at ourselves and we see the pain and the, the death that we've all of us have experienced but god for this next few moments, we're gonna look outside of here. God, at the death and the pain of this world, and God, we pray that we would also see your resurrection. I believe today that God's calling his people to pray on behalf of those outside. And so as the Psalm says today, you will not fear the terror of the night or the arrows that fly by day or the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the destruction that wastes at noonday. Those who love me, I will deliver. I will protect those who know my name and when they call to me, I will answer them. And so God, today we pray for the universal church, its members and its mission. God, we pray that there would be unity among all Christians in all places. God, that we would rejoice at the differences that we have within ourselves. God, we pray for those gathering this week in Smyrna, God, those gathering right now. God, that you would give us creative ways to partner. God, that you would force us into situations, God, that we might partner with one another for the good of Smyrna. God, we pray for the persecuted church, those gathering underground. God, that they might feel encouraged today. God, as we gather together here, that we might partner even in spirit. And so God, for the universal church, its members, its mission, God, we pray and say to all these things, my. Refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. God, for our world and all those in it. God, the natural things that are happening all across our world. God, the burning of the Amazon jungle that's happening by criminal networks. God, we pray that you would bring justice to those criminals. God, for the fires that are happening and ravishing Indonesia. God, we pray that you would cease those things. God, for the 30 that died this week. In a mining accident in chad god and those that are still missing god that you might bring those back to their families god for those who are still struggling in the bahamas god from all of the pain god we pray that you would bring uh, god justice god and also god that you might bring hope god in the midst of those families who feel like there is none god for the things happening politically god for the protests in hong kong that are still ongoing god that you might bring mercy and justice god for those protests similarly in Indonesia God and the 300 students and police that were injured and murdered this week God that you might bring hope God for the clash on the Gaza Strip God for the 200 immigrants that were deported in Athens God including children God that you might restore them to their families God to all these things we say my refuge and my fortress my God and I trust God we pray for the welfare of Smyrna and Cobb County God, health wise, God, for even the Sterogenics plant, God, that you might guard and protect the health of those surrounding that plant. God, politically, God, for the upcoming elections, for all the mayoral and city council candidates, God, even in this city, God, that you might bring the shalom of God, whoever you bring to office. God, for the, the people, God, in our city, God, for the for even those people that joined us for the parenting classes pack sweet God, for the families who are struggling as parents, trying to find identity in things that they cannot find, God, that you might bring a serious hope, God, to their lives, God, that they might engage in churches, God, find Christian community, God, that you might empower us. God, for those participating in Alpha here, God, that you might answer questions. God, for those we pursue and those we never even see, God, that you would give us eyes to see. And to all these things we say, my refuge, my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. God, we pray for the concerns of this local community and all those who suffer in it. For Miss Paula, who's sick in the hospital right now, God, we lift her up to you. God, we pray that you would bring healing to her body. God, that we would even have good reports today. For Donna, who's had an accident this week, God, we pray that you'd bring healing to her. God, for any of those who are sick in this room and those who couldn't make it, God, that we pray for their healing and their restoration. God, we specifically today we pray for marriages, for relationships and families, God, that are even being broken in the midst of this past week. God, that there would be um, God, a, a, a reuniting, God, a, a bringing back together, God, just as you and the Father and the Son and the Spirit are one. And to all these things we say, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And all God's people said, amen. We did a parenting event uh, this past week. Um, I wanted to show you guys a few pictures from that event and just kind of give you a quick update. Uh, This was uh, a table event that we hosted to the community. So we had about 40 people show up. Um, There were, I don't know, there were actually more people from our community uh, outside of River City than River City people which I thought was really special and unique. So uh, we had, this was kind of a precursor to a six week parenting course that we're gonna host in January. So I'd love for you uh, parents to consider uh, joining that class. Um, It's gonna be a good opportunity to also think about the parents in your life that you could walk alongside and have tougher conversations than just the, oh my gosh, parenting is really hard. But we actually create some tools and stuff together So that's gonna be in January, but this was just really special. We had, I wanna just give a a clap for those who did childcare for us and hospitality. Thank you guys so much, had a great team. I will say there were a number of people that at this that I was aware of that would never come to a church that came to this event and many of them shared some real brokenness that they had in terms of how, where they are as a state of as a parent. And I thought it was really unique to be able to have a space where we could have some conversations beyond um, some of the surface-level stuff and actually have Christians engaging with people about real stuff happening in life. So thank you all for participating, and we'll have some more events soon. Good?
2: Thank you, Jordan, for the, the prayers of the people and as well for the update about the table. I was at that event, and it was, um, it's, why we're, it's why we're here, right? Like, and I'll just say this to start. We've been talking recently about creating space for prayer and spiritual formation and creating space for mission. So I want you guys to look over here real quick. This, uh, these are two of our four vi- vision tenets. But I would say, actually, these are probably our two vision tenets, And then these two over here help us to do those things. So these two things, spiritual formation and community transformation. Spiritual formation is what people would talk about as discipleship, being equipped, creating space for God to fill us. Community transformation is the idea of mission or living missionally or going outside. It actually says building bridges. I don't know if you guys notice the little symbols. That's a bridge or a briage. That is the elements. That's not a strange cup with a plus sign on it. That's, uh, that's your typical crack your thing open, <coughs> communion elements. Uh, that's the idea of what we're going after. It can't just be one. We can't just have a missional body that's never formed. Mission forms us, but we can't not create space to be filled by God, right? To be loved by God. And we can't just sit in a room and be formed by God. Either version of those becomes toxic, becomes impossible to live out. So the two have to marry. Spiritual formation and community transformation have to become one, and there is a clear this that happens with that. You can feel it inwardly in just what you like to do or what you think needs to be done with the body. You sometimes wish we would just dive deeper into Bible study. Some of you think, why are we not serving at that shelter? And there's a tension between the two that has to come through time, and it always comes through creating space and living in love. These can't happen without that. But I can tell you the biggest enemy against those two things happen happening are the time that we don't have for them. Neither one of those things happen mostly because of the time we don't give them. Because we believe that our time is too valuable in other places. And there's a world around us telling us that that's true. So we typically live that out for our whole lives if we're not kind of catched and shaken. And so my prayer today is that through mission or spiritual formation, that you would just be shaken, that you would allow yourself to be shaken so much that these things that really aren't meaningful get the back burner, and the things that are meaningful get the front burner? That's really what we're going after here, to be a church that would create space for spiritual formation, and to be missionally living. If any of you would step into both of those fully, we would say that was our mission, that was our goal. And so today as we talk about a passage that is extremely, I think it's the least favorite parable. Actually, I'm certain it's the least favorite parable. It's one nobody wants to preach, and this is why I'm thankful for the lection or the lectionary, because it allows us to preach passages that you would not preach, and nobody's picking this bad boy except for us. But just before that, we're in a season of Pentecost in terms of the Christian calendar. And what that means is the season of Pentecost is how the church enters the world and lives faithfully in the world. We're also talking about things such as the Ark of the Gospel, which is in every single gathering we have, we should gather, we should listen, we should commune, and we should be sent. We don't leave a gathering. We're sent from a gathering, always, right? And lastly, the idea about these two things only happens by the Spirit's power. Whether you're creating space to be infused by the power of the gospel in Jesus or to be sent by it, the power of the Spirit is the most important and essential element in that happening, in both, right? So I'm going to read you this passage, but before I do that, it's getting at something that... uh, Jordan, I, I thank you for the way that you did prayers of the people. Who, who could see what was happening on the screen? Raise your hand if you couldn't see what was happening on the screen. You're all liars. Just kidding. Maybe I'm not. <laughs> what he had was pictures of things happening in the world, and when you see when you see a thing happening, it's different than hearing about a thing happening, right? It's the Facebook video that you see that, like, if you just click on this, you're going to cry. And I'm like, I'm not clicking on that. There's no chance. And then it starts because Facebook owns our brains, and all of a sudden you're crying, right? Like, when you see something, it becomes more real, right? Today is about the invisible things becoming seen. And the easy ones for us, and this is not easy, actually, are things like sex trafficking and what's happening with that, or things like homelessness in Atlanta, right? that the mission works on or that organizations work on, but the other things that aren't seen, the things like the epidemic of people and feeling emotionally and mentally unable to cope anymore, the epidemic of what we hide, right? The, the, the things that are all around us that are knocking on our doors that we choose to not see because it's just easy to not see, or because we see so much of it that we're so desensitized by it. This is what happens in a world where everything is at your doorstep or on your screen. You can watch a movie about romance or pain or tragedy, and you can feel all the feelings that cause sorrow that in a typical real world would then cause action, but we stop at sorrow because we can click away or turn the channel. So we're put in spaces where we can feel all the feelings but not have to be responsible for what happens connected with them. This is causing a lot of problems, right? This is why our, the, the media age we're in right now brings us so much negative that it's so overwhelming that we might as well not even try, right? What are we gonna be able to do? Instead of just hearing about, just think about like if you were born in the 40s and 50s, like my dad, like, that's real. I'm not, I'm not trying to make a joke there. That's, that's a real thing. When you heard of something, you didn't catch it 17 times on Facebook. It came through a friend of a friend, and it was like in your living room, and you were discussing it, so you dealt with it. That's not how it works anymore, right? Now you hear about everybody's everything, and it's too much. But that's not an escape and an excuse for Christians to back away and not be the answer anymore. We have to choose something. We have to open the door to someone. We have to listen to something and we have to respond with compassion. That's the call of the gospel, to not just be gathered but to be sent. And what a better way to be sent than to notice where need is and actually do something. I can remember the four or five times in my life where I was in such a desperate spot that I was weeping, crying out to God. One of them was in a, in a, in a I guess in an apartment before I was sent to rehab, rehab when I was 16 or 17 and not knowing how to struggle through addiction and not knowing how to get through it and crying out and literally being at a spot where I could do nothing else and something had to happen or I was going to die. Literally, I, 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 that was what was going to happen to me. Another time was in college and this is going to be too much for y'all. And being in like a, my first real kind of relationship, this, sounds, this is going to make me sound so dumb. It's okay. And like the relationship kind of being on, this wasn't me and Sarah, this was before us. This was the training for me and Sarah. And literally thinking that relationship wouldn't work, but being destroyed by it. And weeping and crying. And another time was last year, when I had a back uh, problem, and my back was, I had a herniated disc, and that was painful, but the really hard thing was the day that Sarah and my family all got up to go to see Noah play in one of his first tournaments, and I couldn't go, and as my daughter was leaving, she was the last one, I just started weeping, and I fell on the couch, and I was like, God, and I literally could not move off of the couch. I remember for me being in spots where I was so in need that all I could do was beg God or somebody. And how vulnerable in those spots I am, but there are people all in our lives right now in the same type of situations. And so when I read this passage, here's what I don't want you to do. This is not a basis for a theological statement on the afterlife. This is a parable about how to live in life. So I'm going to read this to you. You can follow along with me in Luke chapter 16, 19 through 31. There's a lot here. I'm going to go slowly and then we'll jump right in. This is coming right after Jesus has a conversation with the Pharisees and he literally says to the Pharisees, you cannot love God and money. It is impossible. And then they ridiculed him and said, no, this is not right. So Jesus tells them, you love money more than you love people. And you cannot love both. And they say to him, that's not right. But they basically ridicule him. And this is the story that he decides to teach after. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously. Everybody say sumptuous. Every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked this man's sores. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus was at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, no, this is not, had many sons and many sons. This is a whole different song. I have not heard a song on this yet. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. And my whole childhood went down in flames after reading that the first time when I was younger. I was literally like, there is no chance. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed. In order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. So <laughs> oh, good. And he said, then I beg you. Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. (laughs) Anybody? Anybody still with me? So here's here's where kind of here's here's what can happen in this passage. This kind of passage can draw us right to the end of where you can end up, and it doesn't tell the story. The story is about what happens in this man's life. So here's the first scene that you need to hear about. Scene one, you're in a lavish house. Everything is fine. You're dressed in purple cloth, which is actually representative of like a kingly or a priestly or like, like royalty and you're always eating sumptuous meals. But already setting in, as I read this, is kind of a loneliness that maybe some of us are familiar with. This man is alone. He can't see outside of his house. He doesn't know what's happening. Also in this scene is a man named Lazarus outside the gate who desires for not a mansion, but for just the scraps from this man's table. This man never notices Lazarus But Lazarus notices this man. Lazarus can see, this man cannot. The only comfort, which I wouldn't even consider comfort, um, even if I didn't have a sore, I think it's one of the most disgusting things that happens on the planet. I love dogs, but being licked by them is not awesome. I know Jen's like, that is blasphemy, but I don't love it. (laughs) I do not love being licked by dogs, especially if I have a sore. So that's his consolation, though, in this passage. The only seeing this man has is by a dog licking him. So really quickly, before you make assumptions, this man is not an evil man. This man is not harming Lazarus. This man is not trying to violate him. This man's biggest flaw is that he cannot see Lazarus, and Lazarus could be talked to. That's how close he is. This man's not evil. He's not He's not Osama bin Laden. He's not you know, he's not the Yankees. He's, <laughs> he's not any of those things that are truly evil empire-esque. <laughs> I think that was bad timing for a joke. So now, scene two comes. Scene two is very different. <laughs> scene two is where the fear comes in. Scene two is a r- radical reversal where there's no gate for the rich man anymore. All of a sudden, he is in a pit in torment and flames And now Lazarus is in the lap of Father Abraham, being comforted. The rich man still doesn't have a name. I guess you kind of know that Lazarus has a name since I've already used his name multiple times. And now Lazarus, still not being noticed by the rich man, the rich man calls out, not speaking to Lazarus still, but asks Father Abraham to order Lazarus to serve him on the wrong side of torment. He still has not gotten the picture. He won't even address Lazarus. Here's the beautiful thing. Lazarus has a name. So, and I'm, this, is, this is where I was like, man, if they're gonna, if it's gonna feel like I'm gonna, woo, right here is where it is, right? Because this seems to be telling a couple stories to me. The first one is this. When you name something or someone, and I talked about this last week, the relationship changes. And I mentioned last week, if you were to walk around your neighborhood and knock on doors and ask people just their name and their story, the relationship has changed. But we don't do that because we know the intimacy involved. We don't even know everybody's name in this room, right? Like if we did a game and who could guess the most names, maybe, maybe 70 names, I don't know, maybe 50, I don't know. Because when you name something, you've now become intimate with them in some way. The rich man never receives a name in this. And I kind of think from the beginning, this is what they're going after, to be known. The rich man is in a castle by himself, continually eating sumptuous meals, not in any type of need, but in every type of need. Lazarus is on the other side of a fence, named, maybe richer than the rich man, and ultimately, on the other side of the bad equation, in the lap of Father Abraham, being named, being restored, being comforted. So this story has a couple meanings. One, to the poor, this is a beautiful story. I don't care, and, and, and we all put ourselves in one of these seats. I actually think we probably put ourselves in the seat of the five brothers, kind of hoping that we'll get that message and be like, dear God, I don't want to be in torment. I think if I had a prayer, and my only prayer was so bad that I just wanted someone to dip their finger in water to put them out, that's not even, that's not enough, that's not going to do enough. Like that's an awful prayer. and That must be awful, right? So we, I don't think we put ourselves, I, I know we definitely don't put ourselves in the seat of the poor. We don't relate to that. I think we automatically either are the five brothers or the rich man. And I think if we're honest, we are the rich man because of what we have. We drove cars here, most of us. We live in houses. Maybe even the poorest of us have food for more than a day. How many outfits do we each have? We could probably outfit an army. Like, how many, who has more than five outfits? Don't raise your hand. I'm raising my hand. Six, seven, eight? Maybe you don't. We sit in the seat of the one who has the power to see others, but chooses to not see them. We sit in the seat in this scenario of the one who has everything that they need but has nothing that they need and never does anything about it. So an interesting thing happens here. Lazarus calls or the rich man calls out and he's told that the chasm is too far. The chasm is too far. One of my worst ever memories in life was when I was leading a youth retreat. I think some of you might have been on it. And we didn't have a worship leader and I had to sing the song the chasm was far too wide. Never thought they'd reach the other side. You know that? I I was the worship leader on the retreat and I couldn't get the rhythm right. And I don't have any other reason to share that story other than it was a horrible moment in my life. And I wanted to quit ministry after that. But the rich man is told the chasm is far too wide. And we instantly think, let's go do good in life, right? Like, I don't want that. The chasm is just the completion of what he built his whole life. What if the chasm is not even what happens after? but a space we get to here where we are unreachable because of our privilege. What if the chasm already sets in just like the kingdom of God can already set in? What if we're so far into our privilege? I actually think the hardest part of spiritual formation is stepping out of privilege to help someone else. Or just saying, I am privileged because we are all privileged (laughs) immensely. What if the chasm can exist before phase two? What if the chasm is just you or I saying, I'm not going over there. There's nothing there. I don't see anything. There's nothing to see. No, there's, I, didn't do, I didn't do anything to Lazarus. I had nothing to do with Lazarus. I've been here in my house completely fine. I worked hard to get here. I actually worked. I was told, if you work hard, you'll get it. And I got here, and now I'm in this house. And I had nothing to do with Lazarus. And all the while, Lazarus is knocking, and we're not listening. What if this is a picture of America right now? This is the part of the message nobody wants to step into. Nobody wants to step into this. What if this isn't about what happens after you die, but it's happening right now? What if we're called to tear down chasms and walls and build bridges to people who are in need? As crazy as that sounds, that's the gospel message. What if our churches look a lot like this guy's house? I mean, I imagine he's probably thinking of a room to furnish. I imagine he's thinking, my my second guest room needs serious attention right now like? Those colors are out. I don't have a comfortable bed anymore. What if our churches spend more on our carpet budgets than our food pantries? What if we care more about the next phase of the building than the people literally dying of hunger in our own city? What if the people who are dying daily from mental illness because it's too much to handle had someone jump into their lives, step outside the gate, and say, I know you're not looking for a mansion because that's dumb. That's not what this is all about. It's not about giving another person a mansion. It's about saying, I'm here with you. What if this whole thing is about kinship? What if the whole thing is about seeing someone and being with someone? Literally all that had to happen was this man had to walk outside the gate and sit next to Lazarus, and all he wanted was scraps. That's just an in route. What if he sat outside the gate and said, I know that what you want is food, But there are other things you need. How can I help you? What can I do? What can I do to help you? These two spaces, right? The space of absolute desperation is awful. It is awful. And I have not tasted the true space of absolute desperation. The ones I mentioned earlier are a little bit ridiculous, right? They're a little bit privileged, my, my college relationship wasn't going to work out. Oh, look, seriously. And it's like totally world shattering. There's people being burned alive right now. There's people being bombed right now. There's people whose families are separated, people dying right now. There's literal literal persecution happening right now. My brother and my sister in law are traveling right now to a place where they have to not tell people they're Christian because they would be in danger of being harmed. It's literal. We are the body. The space of desperation is so awful if all you have to wait on is Jesus without the body. And don't hear me say that I don't believe Jesus is providential. And don't hear me say that I don't believe Jesus works miracles. But part of his miracle working is getting a bunch of idiots together to go help someone. And I'm the idiot, not y'all. I'm the idiot. Part of the miracle is when a group of people who shouldn't be together in a room show up to serve and help. With more than just, here's a trinket. I did good, check. With more than just, we're not called to give the poor mansions. We're called to meet them in a space that keeps us both on a plane. It's Acts 2. They shared everything. And Ananias and Sapphira decided they wouldn't, and nobody wants to talk about that, (laughs) right? Who knows that story? Yeah, brutal, right? What if this story is literally about recognizing the people who are knocking in our lives? What if it's just that? If you'll you'll open up with me, if you can, to Revelation 3.20. I'm jumping all over, and that's okay. This is to the church at Laodicea. This is in Revelation. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. What if the distance between us and another, the knocker, isn't a distance between us and another human, but it's actually truthfully, the distance between us and the Father. What if that's actually what's happening? Can you pull up this next passage? Matthew 25, 34 through 40. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison or visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of these, least of these, my brothers, sorry, you did it to me. What if the person who is knocking is actually Jesus? And we're waiting for him to visit us in our houses. Spiritual formation, mission, community transformation. You cannot have the one without the other. To be formed by God is to be sent by God. And to be sent is to recognize those who are in need and do something about it instead of saying, The poor will always be amongst us. I had a grandmother at one point that literally, and I love her, said, well, you know we're not supposed to serve the poor because they're always amongst us. And I was like, ah, actually, I think, mm, (laughs) hmm. Doesn't feel right. I actually let it sit, too. It felt really awkward and weird to be like, change 70 years of, that's not right. That's not the truth. If, if the poor will always be with us as our excuse to not help them, we've missed everything. In what ways can we help? Don't make this massive. In what ways can we help? Do we even know who is knocking? Do we even know in our own life who is this close to desperation to the point of no return? In our own families? In our cities? Who is it? This is the great thing, though. <laughs> I've missed so much of this. The Pharisees' love of money was more than the love of people, and the danger of wealth is that it always causes blindness. And it's not that we should hate money. It's that the love of money is the causes of evil. The Timothy passage talks about it. I'm not going to read that right now. But if you love money or the idea of what you can achieve through money more than you love people, you will be blind to those around you, and it is not easy, and if you're in privilege, which we all are, to hear that you are and be able to make a step out of it is one of the hardest movements of your life, because no one wants to go from the mansion to the gate, especially not from the mansion to the pit so while in life, this is not building a theology of the afterlife. That's not what this passage is about. This passage is a theology of how you treat those who are around you and what you give of yourself to them and the space you make in your home. Are you hospitable? Can people come into your home or is that your zone? No one comes in. Do you know your neighbors that live around you? Do you know the brokenness in your own family? At some point, all it takes is a question like, what's going on inside of you? I've told you, I started asking that to my kids because I want to start, and I'm just not good at it. And my son, we should film, we should chronicle every time I ask this because it is the most awkward interaction of life. What, I say, buddy, and I put my hand on his chest, what is going on inside you? And he has no idea how to answer. He's like, good. Like, that doesn't even make sense, buddy. (laughs) And that's literally what he says. That's maybe an in route. Ask people around you what's going on inside of you? People who have struggled through oppression in our nation, it's real. Ask them to tell their story and listen instead of deciding that you just know better because what privilege looks like on this side doesn't listen because it's the hardest thing to cross. But when you can just listen and step outside of your soapbox, things can change. What are some steps for you, right? To those of you, and this is I almost feel dirty even doing this here, but I know that I'm supposed to. There are people in this room who are the poor, not poor financially. Maybe some of you are, but you have access to stuff, but some of you are poor to the point of brokenness, and maybe you're poor in spirit. Maybe the church, you're done with it. That's happening left and right right now in America. Maybe you're in desperation. Maybe it's mental, emotional, and you have not shared with anyone how desperately you're close to things that shouldn't happen. You're close to thinking about things that would be harmful to you and others, physically. Some of you are sick. I, I don't get this. And please, I know, tell me, you can, you can share with me. But if, if you're sick, the literal gift of God is the body to lift you up in prayer. Share with us. It doesn't mean that you're doing it right or better by not sharing. We need to hear so that we can lift you up and pray. We need to hear. It doesn't burden us. We're not overwhelmed by it and wish that you wouldn't have. We need to hear so that we can lift you up because you matter, right? Whatever has happened along the way to say, that's not their problem, this is mine, that's not not reality. We're the body of Christ. We're meant to carry burdens for one another. If you're screaming out at night to God about these things happening and telling no one else, please invite us in. That's who God brings the kingdom to. And if you're poor and broken in spirit, please, just for a moment, the only one who gets a name in this passage is the one who recognizes they're in that spot. And to be named by the king would change everything. Now, you can look up on your own what the word Lazarus means. It's beautiful. But whatever he names you and says about you comes from the place of being so broken that you know you need him. So if you are broken in spirit or poor at heart or hurting physically or cannot figure out how to talk to someone about it, just know that he is for you and you are going to receive a name and he will redeem you. If you have no needs, if you have no needs to name, I would just kindly say, ask for God to show you where you need to repent. Repent because maybe you're supposed to be sharing everything that you have. Everything that you have. And Father, I ask that we would be a people that tear down walls, that keep us away from those who are in pain, and build bridges to those who are crying out in need. I just pray that River City would be the kind of body that goes on mission lovingly, God, who is outside of our gate? God, make me excited about who would be knocking today. And I just want to speak this over you in prayer. We talk a lot at this church about being burnt out, and we create space for people to walk into health because part of our struggle in the past is that we've taken too much from people for the sake of God. But that's not everything. And to see a need and to be able to step in is a beautiful thing. And for someone else's need to always only be a burden and only be something that is just a, just a hassle is not the right en route. What if to hear about where someone was struggling would be seen as a gift to be carried and then shared with others? Whether it's money, a bed, prayer in a hospital, just asking the question, what's going on with you? Just hearing and seeing. God, take off our blinders. And I have this overwhelming fear that I won't run with, but I'll ask God to give us the faith to see that the people being raised in our own homes can go 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 years without ever being seen. See your kids, see your spouse, see your parents, see the brokenness of their friend groups. Don't just say it's the world and carnal and turn from it. Step into it and ask how you can help, especially for those of you who have children in this room, ask questions early, step in early. How can I help you? Where are you broken? Where can I pray for you? What's happening inside of you? How do I help you carry this? You're not meant to carry it all. Start with your families, spread to your jobs, into your cities, into the world. I'm going to ask you to repeat something. I don't even know what I'm going to say yet. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to say it, you're going to repeat it. Father God, help me to see who is knocking in my life. Father God, forgive me for choosing to not see and letting someone else handle it. Help me be a gospel carrier and a mission walker outside of church to my children to their children, to my parents, to their parents, to my wife or husband, to my friends. Reveal to me who is knocking and let me answer. And I'm just going to pray this over you. The one who is knocking is literally Christ. For when we feed them, we feed him. When we clothe them, we clothe him. When we visit them, we visit him. Jesus, help us to be your hands and feet. But don't let us take this message in shame and start to live a missional life that alleviates being the need to be filled by you, God. Help us to carry in both hands mission and formation as how I live my life. I will be formed by God. I will help others for God. Both Jesus. If you'll all stand with me. So a few ways that you guys could jump into this without making it too complicated. The table that Jordan is overseeing right now, the whole idea is mission to the city. So building a team of people that are ready to serve people well would be a great start. And you can talk to Jordan at any time. That's happening monthly now. And then of course, just jump in and serve somewhere here, like an in route to helping would just be awesome. In fact, how old are you? 15. She's 15, literally up here singing like that, just brave, like. Awesome. Makes me so happy. So Father, I thank you for the body of Christ that you've given us, it's a gift as sloppy and unkempt and as moody and as joyful and as painful and as healing as it is, it is your bride. And we are thankful for it. And I'm so thankful to be a part of it. Help us to continue in Smyrna to look like the bride, the loving bride of Christ who dies for those before they even know it. And Jesus, thank you for being the man that was talked about in this parable that came back from the dead. We literally are hearing about you from you after doing that, and we're thankful. Send us this week full of joy and laughter and love with the ability to sit with and hold people like Father Abraham did. And we thank you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Very thankful for you. Bless you.
1: Thank you again for joining us
2: today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.